Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces with love is stopped. Picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three. There's two. She's going to launch from three. Chelsea Gray for three. Unbelievable. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Jackie's got it. Aces got numbers. Three on two. To Plum for three. KP, ring it up. Boom, shaka, waka, waka, boom. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. To Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times for Bay Bay. T.C. Martin. And you got that right. Money won't change it. Raquana. Bay Bay Williams. Boom. This is the greatest show. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. The doctor is now here. Oh, the Monday edition of the T.C. Martin Show coming away live here from Las Vegas, KSHB and 1400, 107.1 FM, and streaming live at tcmartinshow.com on the nationwide web. T.C. Martin is in Big D, folks. He is the voice of our world champion Las Vegas Aces, getting set for that Tuesday tilt where they're taking on the Dallas Wings. Myself, Chris Wynn, along with wagertalk.com, co-founder Marco D'Angelo here live on your Monday. Always great, Marco, to get a chance to uh, jump in studio with you and uh, and uh, chop it up for a couple of hours. Good to see you. I don't know where we begin today, Chris. There's so much that happened this weekend. Uh, in Mr. TC, uh, you know, in Big D, uh, they take on the wings, and he wasn't eating wings for lunch. He uh, sent us a nice big picture, a big plate of ribs and brisket. Yeah, that's, that's the way it, to do it, right? That's yeah. Texas style when it comes to the cuisine cuisine situation for the doctor as he is down there, and uh, of course, a, a very interesting game that went on at the Barclays Center there in Brooklyn yesterday, nationally televised game between two of the top teams in the WNBA. Obviously, we're talking about the Aces and the New York Liberty. We'll get into that and much, much more throughout the show. Of course, uh, also uh, a lot of baseball action going on this weekend as well, too. Of course, uh, we're, we're ramping it up, right? We're in August, so we're going to be steaming down the stretch here as uh, the trade deadline has come and gone. And there are teams that are absolutely uh, more solidified is the way I'll, I'll describe it when it comes to uh, an opportunity to get towards the postseason in Major League Baseball. So we'll dive into that as well, too. Yeah, Chris, this is a fun time of the year. I mean, that week leading up to the trade deadline, all the speculation, who's a buyer, who's a seller? Well, the fun part is the aftermath, mm-hmm. because once the dust settles and the trade deadlines come and went, now you look at the teams and yeah, you said there's teams that have beefed their rosters up. There are also several teams that waved the white flag and we've saw that big time. Uh, look at the New York Mets. Yep. Okay. They have not won a game since they traded Mad Max and Verlander and nothing says more than we've quit when your organization <laughs> trades away the two best pitchers on the staff, two guys that you just went out and spent buku dollars for and now to get rid of them you're picking up part of their contract to get them shipped off uh you know to contenders a bad situation in uh new york flip side you thought the angels they put that run together Mm -hmm. before the all the trade deadline owner comes out 
Otani's not going anywhere. Great. They had that nice little winning streak. What have they done since the trade deadline and Otani's there? They haven't won a game either. No, you can make the case, too, that uh, the, the teams that really had a ton of action around the trade deadline were three teams in that division, right? Yep. You talked about the Angels. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Houston Astros, a team looking to repeat, uh, you know, bringing back Justin Verlander there. And, of course, the Texas Rangers, right? A team that kind of, uh, uh, I'm not going to say it came out of nowhere because they haven't. But, I mean, they're right there in the mix as well, too. Obviously, the acquisition of Max Scherzer is a, is a monster get for them. And uh, it makes that, that division all kinds of intriguing as we go down the stretch here. Well, we know that uh, TC loves the Astros. Mm-hmm. Texas, you know, they're hitting the lights off out of the baseball right now. I mean, they're banging the cover off. I think they're averaging over the last seven games over eight runs per game. When you get that kind of hitting and then you, you add an addition like that with, you know, Scherzer, it's, you know, Houston's going to be in a battle all the way down to the end of the season with Texas. We kept waiting for Texas to come back to Houston. They did. They got tied, you know, they got tied in the standings, but, you know, Texas now is righted to ship. Give uh, the Astros credit, though. They did go to New York. They took two out of three from the Yankees. The one game they lost would have been the game you would have thought they would have won. Uh, exactly. Isn't it? It's, it's funny how baseball works that way. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about, uh, Major League Baseball a little, little later on the show. Obviously get into a lot of, yeah, there was, there was, uh, a lot of interesting things that happened over the weekend, uh, on the diamond. But, uh, let's kind of circle back to that Aces game. Aces taking on the New York Liberty. Obviously, this is the first season really, right, in the WNBA where you've had the storyline of, well, we have a couple super teams now, right? Obviously, Vegas being one of those, the New York Liberty being the other, the acquisition of Brianna Stewart, obviously a perennial MVP candidate. Courtney Vandersloot brought over, I believe, from Chicago, uh, and she's in the mix as well, too. Obviously, Sabrina Inescu, one of the up-and-coming rising stars in the WNBA. So there's a lot of eyeballs on this game and for a very good reason, as it was, as I pointed out at the top of the show, a nationally televised tilt. And, uh, I'm intrigued, Marco, to get your take and, and kind of the view as far as handicappers, as far as looking at this game, right? The perspective of it, given that, uh, the Aces, uh, you did have a, a, a scenario. I don't know how much this came into play, but you had a actual a team member in Sydney Colston who had her birthday, uh, and, there was speculation that things could have gone on off the court. They could have gone out and tore it up a little bit on Saturday night. But it was, uh, I would, I think it's safe to say, a surprise at this outcome between these two teams, given what Vegas was able to do in that first matchup during the regular season against New York to see what the Liberty were able to basically just dissect Vegas in that game yesterday. If you were going to tell me that the Liberty was going to pull the upset yesterday, I would not have argued with you because it was a great spot. It was a afternoon game on the East Coast. So it was, you know, 12 noon local time here for the body clocks for, uh, the Aces. It was, as you said, and it was billed, uh, you know, they everywhere. It was the game of the year, you know, and it, it was because you talk about super teams. There's three teams in the WNBA. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's us out here, and then there's two in the yep. East, and that's the Liberty, and that's Connecticut. Yep. New York is the better team, uh, I, be- yeah, I believe, between not just because they won so big yesterday. They're the better team over Connecticut. I think they have more star power. And as you said, Sabrina Inescu, th- this girl, my God, did she <laughs> light it up from mm-hmm. 
everywhere. I mean, she was making threes and, you know, NBA threes, not, not just WNBA threes. She was, you know, putting the ball up in the air and nothing but net. And for the first time that I could say since Becky Hammond's been here, I could honestly say that I, I saw the Aces quit yesterday. They, they just, the third quarter, whenever they, you know, it was a game to, you know, through the half. I mean, we had the lead at the end of one. And, you know, I think the game, the flavor of the game changed a little bit when, uh, Asia took the hard elbow, you know, a little, little old school basketball, man. We were, we were bringing those elbows high. I, I, thinking back to the, you know, the schoolyard days, you know, when you're flipping the elbows the way you did, but she took a hard shot. The way she went down and then laid on the floor, I, you know, for a few seconds there, I thought, you know, that, you know, maybe she fell funny or something and, you know, was worried about, you know, more severe injury, but, you know, she came back and returned, but they weren't the same in that opening third quarter. Give all the credit in the world to the Liberty. What a quarter they put on. Well, no question about it. That third stanza, I mean, the numbers just jump out at you. That was, that was the point there. I mean, the aces were in the game. And at points where, you know, they were, they were pushing right with them. And then that third quarter, that's when New York pretty much pulled out. You talked about Sabrina. That's, she was knocking down threes left and right. You saw Courtney Vandersloot get involved. Jocko Jones, absolutely, uh, big time in this game for them on the boards and, and, uh, doing kind of the little things for this team. And then, of course, you know, Brianna Stewart, you know, it, it speaks for herself. I mean, she's, you're talking about someone that is, uh, you know, one of the top players in the league and is the leader of that team. And uh, she was instrumental as well, too. But you cannot have a situation where you're outscored uh, or you only had 17 points in the second half. 17 points. They were outscored on uh, second chance points, 17 to nothing in second chance points. And uh, Asia Wilson just had an atrocious offensive game from the standpoint of uh, she shot, two, I want to say, two of, seven, 2 of 15 or something like that in, in that neighborhood. It was just brutal. So when you have your, you know, your your person who's your main cog, who's not able to perform at the level that you're expecting of her, then that makes it very difficult. And, uh, and it kind of rubbed off on the rest of the team other than Jackie. Jackie Young was the one ace that actually had a half decent game. Everybody else really struggled. And, uh, I talked about this on the show previously, Marco. I mean, if you're the aces after that game yesterday, you absolutely don't even want to look at the tape, right? You don't want anything to just take that thing and chuck it, you know, immediately. I mean, I, there's no, there is no use whatsoever, right? For watching that tape at all, because it, all it's going to do is, is not, not only make you furious, but, uh, there, there's nothing really redeemable with respect to, uh, X's and O's when it comes to a game like that where you lose by 38 points on the road. Oh, there's no question. You, you know, you want to put that one in the trash can. But on the same token, uh, we talk about it in uh, college basketball. When a team runs through their conference undefeated, mm-hmm. we almost want to see them lose a game before the end of the, the regular season because you don't want to go into the big dance with that, you know, 20 game winning streak. You know, it's that added, you know, little pressure on it. And everybody's going to come every night with a bullseye on the aces. You know, backs. That's what happens when you're the champs. And the Aces got a dose of their own medicine yesterday. Two things that I took away from the X's and O's. One thing was they looked a step and a half slow yesterday. The the Liberty were up and down the floor. They were getting to the open spots. They had 28 assists, okay? When you're getting that many assists, you're moving the basketball, okay? The Aces 
we're leaving guys, not guys, leaving girls wide open. Uh-huh. And, you know, the ball movement that they had was impressive from the Liberty. But Becky Hammond can show that tape and say, you know what, you know, you got to come to play every night. And they got. You know, she even said it, you know, if you caught the press clipping afterwards, uh, press conference, she said, you know, we got an A whooping. I mean, she, in, yeah. in, <laughs> she put the whole word out there and it, it was, it, there's no question about it. But I'll tell you another thing that I took notice of, and I, I don't know if you did. Um, Becky Hammond will write it down and remember fourth quarter, how deep they were into the fourth quarter and the starters were still in for the Liberty. You look at thing the the bench didn't get cleared the bottom end of the bench when you're in a 38 point game mm-hmm. the last three people that got in a game got in four four minutes of the game in a, in a right. in a 40 point route the starters all of the starters had from 29 to 33 minutes in that game there was no no they didn't need to be on the floor yet they were sending a message because the Aces have done that too in statement games. Whenever they played Dallas the second right. time after they got beat, when they played Connecticut after they lost, you know, the game in Connecticut, they sent a message. Well, you know what? What goes around comes around. You got a message sent to you yesterday. Yeah, it's it's re- it's a uh, reaction, right, to yeah. what the Aces have done previously. So I'm, I'm not going to sit back and you know blast New York mm. for that. Also, I would I'd also say this. This is my kind of my opinion. Mm. I think you know so, sometimes when it comes to WNBA, you don't have really deep benches, you know. So I don't I don't know uh, if if that came into play as all as far as the decision either. But uh, if, if it, I'm 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 one of those people who's Marco who's in the camp of. Stop them, right? When people complain, especially at college football, right? Mm-hmm. NFL, when people are like, oh, why, why, why are you trying to run the score up? <laughs> I'm one of those people, Marco D'Angelo, who says, if you don't want them to score, stop them. That's, that's kind of my take on it, my viewpoint oh, on I, it. You know what I mean? So that's, uh, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way I look at it from the standpoint oh, I, of those types of situations. I agree with you. Yeah. The only difference is, is when that happens in football, mm-hmm. they're bringing the second unit in. And right. those players want to get in. The, they want to get in the stat sheet, yeah. okay? And they want if they have a chance to score, they want to score. I'm all for that, but don't leave the starters in there trying to score. That's a different. That's a different right. animal, in my opinion. And I, I thought she could have emptied her bench a lot earlier than she did. And don't overreact from one game. I say this in every sport, no matter what it is. People like to make an overreaction to one game. No team is ever as good as their best performance. Mm-hmm. Nor are they as bad as their worst performance. We saw both ends of the spectrum yesterday. Okay. The Liberty played their best game of the season. Yes, they're one of the best team, one of the three best teams in the WNBA, but they're not as good as they looked yesterday. It was a combination of the Aces having a bad game and the game spiraling out of control. And you saw, I mean, Becky went to her bench early because the game was over. Why? You know, we got another game on Tuesday. Let's prepare for that. In, uh, it should be an intense game from, uh, the Aces on Tuesday. If, if anything that we have seen from the past, from Becky, the way she coaches this team, no nonsense, you know, um, and where she, you know, learned her, her skills. I mean, she was on that bench with Popovich and, you know, the Spurs would always be good after a bad game. I think you're going to see a pretty good effort from uh, the Aces on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, they're playing probably the second best team in the West. That's a great segue, too, because to your point, you made a great point, by the way, that uh, you never put too much into one game, right? 
But I'm telling you, Mr. D'Angelo, I'm kind of feeling for the Dallas Wings right about now because I'm having flashbacks to like, you know, those 1996 Bulls teams when they, they, they lost, you know, one of their, what, 10 games that year. I feel bad for the next team they have to play if they go to New Jersey and take on the Nets, right, the Meadowlands or something like that. That's kind of the way I feel about the Dallas Wings facing the Aces on Tuesday night after that absolute lambasting and shellacking that they took at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Yeah, you're going to get the Aces A game. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to be focused. And that's the beauty of sports is there's another game the next day, you know, or day later than that. And they can write the ship in. One game doesn't define your season. This is still a team that's what twenty four and three, twenty five and three, whatever. It was a third loss. So yeah. let's not get crazy, right? Third loss yeah. of the season, and <laughs> it's just if you would have told me that they would have lost the game like, like like we opened it, yeah, I yeah. I could buy into that. That was that was the play. I was actually shocked that the Liberty was as big of a home dog as they were. It was the spread was five on the game. And yeah, we know how good the aces are, but you're talking about the second best team in the league who everybody thinks this was going to be a preview of the WNBA finals. And, you know, five points at home. This was a statement game for the Liberty. The Liberty had more to lose coming away with a loss than the aces is. Now that's granted 38 point loss, a little bit different, but going into the game, if the Liberty loses this game, you got to sit back from their standpoint and say, wow, you know, they took care of us out there. They took care of us here. You know, if we do meet up, you know, psychologically, that's not where you want to be. So they, that's why you got the effort you got from the Liberty and why is, you know, a handicapper in, you know, I do this all the time, you know, with TC. I'm a situational handicapper. Right. That's why I think the edges, situational wise, was in the camp of the Liberty yesterday. Marco D'Angelo, Chris Wynn in for TC Martin on the TC Martin show here on your Monday. It was tough sledding this weekend uh, for the Aces, for their fans, mm-hmm. and also for fans of Team USA soccer. Marco, uh, the ladies having a, it was a tough deal the way it went down, and it was it was uh, bright and early. Here on the West Coast, uh, around a two o'clock start, right? For that match between Sweden and the United States. Team USA, the women's team, obviously, you know, one of the best teams in the world for a number of, for a number of years, going back to the Brandy Chastain, uh, you know, a ripoff shirt game, essentially. Uh, this has been one of the teams always at the top of, uh, women's soccer from an international standpoint, right? For Team USA. Uh, weren't exactly spectacular in the earlier rounds of the World Cup. They do make it to the round of 16 in which they take on a, a quality Sweden team that's, you know, number three in the world, uh, and is one of the teams that, uh, that could, that could win the World Cup this year. Uh, kind of a strange scenario plays out in which neither team can score for 120 minutes, Marco. And, uh, then we get to the all, you know, dramatic, uh, penalty kick scenario where it comes down to, you know, any little mistake can basically cost you the match, right? And, uh, Team USA, I thought, you know, came out strong in, in the penalty kicks. They took kind of, you know, pushed the initiative there and, 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 uh, were able to kind of grab like a, a, a small lead. And then you get to a scenario where, uh, Sweden kind of, uh, gets their footing and is able to kind of even things up. And yet, uh, even in the first round of penalty kicks, Megan Rapino has an opportunity to send the United States to the next round and unfortunately ends up, uh, airmailing it. 
as far as uh, sending and and is not able to score. It ends up going to a second round in which it was uh, basically like kind of sudden death mm-hmm. how they how they operate. And uh, Sweden ends up uh, getting uh, the semi-dramatic victory. You know, you get you get the shot on goal. You know, it initially stopped, and apparently it crosses the line. Uh, and it's a tough way for the American goalkeeper, right, to 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 end that game where she, she played so outstanding throughout you know 120 minutes, and then uh, they end up losing the game like that. But uh, USA goes down, a team, uh, one of the teams and favorites expected to win the yeah. the World Cup here in 2023. And in typical fashion, the Twitter world was going crazy, uh, Saturday night, you know, in ripping, you know, uh, the missed penalty kick by, you know, the, the star player. And, and she has been everything to the, this, you know, soccer team and misses that. And it just gets lambasted on, on Twitter. I, you know, and you talk about game of inches, as you said, the winning goal initially was ruled a stop and then, you know, when they, they looked at it, it did go in. And then a lot of people on Twitter were complaining. They didn't show the replay enough on, you know, give us everything during the game. And it's like, nobody's ever happy. Um, I can say this much, Chris. I'm not the world's biggest soccer fan. So right. I'll, I'll, as am not I, I'm not, okay. I'm not either. I'm so. not right. But just like in hockey, and I don't know where you stand on when, you know, you finish a game, then you go to overtime, <clears throat> no score in the, in the five minutes. Mm. And then we go to the shootout. It's exciting, yes, yeah. but you've played a game where you've played, you know, your guts out for the, you know, the three periods or, you know, the 90 minutes on the field, and then it's reduced to a comp- skills competition is basically what it is. Right. And I don't – championship game, you know, I just don't like that. I, play it out on the field, uh, you know, but it is what it is. Let's dive into this because I'm on board with you. There's a reason why uh, the NHL, I think, is right in the way they approach it, where, hey, you're playing until somebody scores a goal. You're playing actually ice hockey, in where the you're actually in the game. Yeah, yeah, in the playoffs, right? Play play right? Yeah, because look, and, and the World Cup is essentially, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a playoff yeah. type scenario in my, in my, in my head, yeah. right? And I'm sure in a lot of other people who are actually soccer fans had as well, too. So I think, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily on board. With penalty kicks deciding whether or not a team advances in, in you know, in, a, in an event like the World Cup. I think that's, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I think the NHL gets it right. Now look, I get it. I mean, NHL games can go for like seven periods or wait, whatever it was, you know, the longest game, longest game was like seven, eight periods or whatever. I get it, but it's still, I think it still should be settled on the ice or on the pitch. In the way that you played the game the entire game, and it shouldn't be a scenario like I mean we're baseball guys like really you're gonna have a World Series game and you're you know play you're gonna play 15 innings and then you're gonna be like oh uh, yeah let's have a home run derby yeah. to decide who wins it you know what I mean like come on yeah, so I am I am absolutely in that camp where I think it does kind of skew things if you have penalty kicks deciding how these teams advance yeah I get why they do why. Hockey and baseball with the ghost runner at second and so forth. Do it in a regular season. You know, A, you don't want these games that go on so long. And we know that when fatigue sets in, that's also, you know, when more of your injuries are, you know, can happen, you know, players are, you know, running on fumes. So you don't want to be doing that, you know, every game during the regular season in, you know, soccer games. I mean, they played, you know, no goals were scored. No, there was not even really any, you know, anything close. I mean, yeah, the goalie was, you know, unbelievable, but still there were no, no goals throughout the entire thing. And that's probably one of the other reasons why, you know, soccer 
most people that's exciting. To me, it's like I got you. Got to keep me awake. I need action. <laughs> You're not a huge proponent of those one nothing games, Marco, where you can yeah. you know sit yeah. there and and just see the strategy on the field play out. Yeah. And by the way, it wasn't just Team USA, right? And uh, and and Sweden. That that uh, the game last night. I was watching at a, my favorite local watering hole. You had Nigeria and Eng- England, one of the favorites to win the World mm-hmm. Cup. By the way, uh, despite the fact they have a number of injuries. But uh, England ends up winning in uh, penalty kicks as well, too. Both those teams, nobody could score for 120 minutes either. So uh, I don't know. I don't necessarily, I'm not going to die on this hill that, you know, it's a problem for the World Cup because, you know, because they're not out there lighting up the scoreboard in certain games. But again, I, I absolutely concur with you that I think that it is, I'll use the word, problematic to have games end on penalty kicks when uh, it's the World Cup and it means so much and it's so important. It surprises when I first moved out here back in 2008, there was a World Cup, uh, that summer and I was in awe. Cause again, like you said, we have the late night or early morning, you know, the time difference all the time. And I'm in the sports books early a lot of times and I was amazed at how popular soccer was. And you know, you have your own closed mind. If you don't like something, you just naturally expect nobody else likes it either. You know, it's mm. my world. And, but, you know, it was an eye opener for me as far as, uh, you know, soccer and how popular it is with the, you know, the betting markets. And, uh, you know, they must be doing something right. So, you know, they got fans and more fans, uh, the traditionalists like we are in baseball with different, you know, different things that, you know, old school baseball. They like those one nothing games. Yeah. And look, it's a uh, circle the wagons time, right? For Team USA, this is a program that's not going anywhere anytime mm-hmm. soon. They're going to still be one of the top tier teams going forward. The 22 year old, actually, uh, whose name's escaping me right now, who's their young star, she's all over the place. She's on, yeah. she's on, she's doing tons of uh, commercials and stuff. Uh, she had a chance to actually extend that shootout. And then she also fired one off, yeah. uh, I believe off the post and up, up and over the goal too. So, uh, but they're, they're, they're in good hands as far as the talent. That they have there. Again, I'm not sitting here acting like an expert on women's soccer, but the point is, is that they're still going to be very viable and they'll be right there with all the best teams in the world. When you're expected yeah. to, you know, be there every year, it magnifies it when, not when you lose, but when you lose early. Right. You know, that's, if they would have went, you know, the next round, I don't think we would have had all of this buzz that we had. It's just because expectations were so high and it's almost, you know, entitlement that we're there every year, at least on the women's side. We'll take our first break. It's the TC Martin Show coming your way live on a Monday. Marco D'Angelo along with Chris Wynn. Marco D'Angelo, over four decades in the handicapping game, one of our favorites here in Vegas. TC Martin, folks, is in Dallas getting set for a rebound opportunity. And I don't mean rebound as in basketball. I mean like rebound after getting absolutely blasted by the New York Liberty on Sunday as they'll take on the Dallas Wings. He's in Texas right now. And uh, as Marco pointed out at the top of the show, I'm sh- there's social media. It's, it's got the doctor's uh, uh, culinary picks, I'm sure, flowing left and right when it comes to all that going on. But uh, on the other side of the break, we'll talk a little baseball. We had a lot going on this weekend, obviously, since the trade deadline's gone down. Marco touched a little bit at the top of the show on some of the teams that are really going to be making a splash. But uh, there was, as Bill Pito would say on ESPN back in the 1990s, there was a developing situation on the field that had nothing to do with baseball between the Guardians and the Chicago White Sox. There's been some fallout, some news from that as well. We'll get into that and much, much more as the T.C. Martin Show continues on your Monday here on KSHB. (laughs) 
Check out his big stethoscope. Or not. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. It's a mud day in the T.C. Martin Show. Coming away live here, KSHB AM 1400, 107.1 FM. It's streaming all the time on the TCMartinShow.com. Chris Wynn, Marco D'Angelo on your Monday. T.C. is in Dallas, Texas, getting set for a WNBA tilt tomorrow night. We've been talking a, a lot about uh, this weekend because, look, Marco, every Monday, there's like a plethora of things to dive into, right, because of what went on over the weekend, and that is absolutely the case when it comes to Major League Baseball, right? A ton of games going down as uh, we are rolling down the stretch here of uh, the regular season. And uh, pretty uh, hotly contested tilt between the uh, Cleveland Guardians and the Chicago White Sox over the weekend. And it has uh, brought about some suspensions as uh, essentially a a brawl breaks out uh, after uh, a confrontation on the base paths. And uh, Tim Anderson suspended for six games. Third baseman Jose Ramirez for the uh, Cleveland Guardians suspended for three games. Annual, uh, Manuel Kloss for uh, for one game uh, for their parts in Saturday's bench-clearing brawl. Also suspended for one game were uh, Pedro Grafal from and uh, Terry Francona, both suspended a game. And third base coach Mike Sarbaugh as well, too, was also suspended a game because of uh, what went down. Now, usually, Marco, when these things happen in Major League Baseball or in the NBA, it ends up being a wrestling match, right? Or they just square off. And there's a clear indication that nobody really wants to fight. But as Justin is showing me right now, uh, posted that deleted after the fight, there are some quality blows actually thrown here in this in this uh, scuffle between Ramirez and Tim Anderson, where it wasn't just a you know a couple of headlocks going down or something like that. This was actually a full blown fight that broke out. It was. And when, you know, I'm watching it live and I see it, you know, transpiring, I'm like, wow, Ramirez has one heck of a right hook or Anderson's got the softest glass jaw I've ever seen because he went down like a ton of bricks and the Cleveland announcer, you know, went to the, the famous call of, you know, down goes Frazier, only substituting down goes Anderson because he went down like a sack of potatoes. It, it, it wasn't funny, but, you know, right. it kind of was. I'm sorry. These two teams, uh, both of them are under 500. It, you know, I joked if either one of them put up this much of a fight at any time during the season, maybe they wouldn't be both under 500. But they're two teams that are frustrated. And as far as uh, the Guardians go, and I, I, I hate that that name. Okay. It is pretty terrible. I, I want to keep saying the Cleveland Indians yeah. all the time, and it's, it's like, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, not allowed to do it anymore, <laughs> but uh, uh, we still – I will always right. think of them as that. And yeah. uh, this is a part that the, the organization, the players, were not happy at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. They had crawled within a couple games of the Twins, and, this, and the Twins by no means are a runaway. In this division, mm-hmm. they're just there because the division sucks. Yeah. And exactly. Cleveland thought they, you know, they definitely had a shot. The players did. Management sent a different message. And when you go to the trade deadline, as we say, there's buyers and there's sellers. And teams that become sellers 
uh, when your players think you should be buying that we we can win this, that's a bad situation. And Cleveland's not a team that I want to be betting right now for you know. I haven't been betting them since the the all you know not all star break, but the trade deadline. I was on um, went against them one of the games this weekend, and I will continue to look to find spots until I see something different from them. But you traded away one of your best pitchers, and you got you right. brought back Syndergaard. Yeah, come on, it does. You have the viewpoint to me of the team that's in that division. You're a sacrificial lamb, right? When you get to the postseason, you're going to be a team that's going to get uh, probably bounced. And I think it's a correct viewpoint that people have that it's just, it's just a division that is absolutely atrocious this year. And uh, and by the way, another division that we're going to talk about also is going to be, you know, the, on, on the other side of things when it comes to the National League mm-hmm. Central as well, too, is that. Uh, but when you look at this American League Central, I mean, just just the fact that the my, my Detroit Tigers have been sellers right mm-hmm. in, in this in this uh, before the, as, as the trade deadline uh, came and went. And yet they're still, they're still not mathematically eliminated. They could still win the division, technically, I guess. You know, they're not going to, but the point being is that it's a division that's kind of wallowing in mediocrity right now and sub-mediocrity, basically. And, uh, as you pointed out, the twins are kind of, you know, probably going to be the team left standing, but nobody gives them any realistic chance of making any noise once, once October rolls around. Well, because this division has gotten balanced in the, in the first round every, the last three years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you said the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. And, you know, I was actually at a sports book yesterday watching some of the games with, you know, my buddy here in town, Brian Leonard. And he's a big Cleveland, you know, he's from Cleveland, big uh, fan of the team. And he, even being a fan, he said this was the right thing for Cleveland to do. There was no reason for them to try and add a couple pieces and make this run when you are at best a mediocre team. Mm-hmm. Just making the playoffs is not enough. It, it's actually more harmful because, you know, if you're a seller or you're a buyer, you're giving up some prospects in the process and you're not making this team stronger for the future. That's why all of these teams in this division aren't good. And even though Minnesota is winning the division, they're locked in that as well. They're just a little bit above average team that in either the East or the West, they wouldn't even be, you know, smelling the, the playoffs with as deep as those other two divisions are. Yeah. And you take a look at, I mean, every, like Cleveland, as, as you point out, Cleveland at four games under 500. Right in yeah. second place in that division, so that it, it, it just they just don't scare anybody at all. So uh, I made reference, of course, to the National League Central. Right, you're talking about a division right now that uh, is led by Milwaukee. Milwaukee sitting at sixteen fifty three, a, a game and a half up on both the Cubs and the and the Cincinnati Reds. Talk about these two two teams, Marco, because this is a Reds team that surprisingly played. Terrible this weekend. Yeah, how do you lose to? First of all, you're playing a team you should be beating. And when you get in series against teams like the Nationals, you need to win those series. Uh, and then on the other side of things, you've got the Chicago Cubs. You've been playing really well as of late, and kind of uh, shot themselves up into uh, the consciousness right now of uh, of not only uh, Major League Baseball fans, but but betters as well too. They have in. They've been twofold because what people have been doing with the Cubs on this winning streak is taking the Cubs, but they're also Mm -hmm. taking the overs because this team is scoring a ton of runs and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, places that will put up, uh, team totals, you know, the Cubs have been 
you know, they've been crushing that on a nightly basis. And their success came not only this weekend against Atlanta, and that's what put people on notice with the mm-hmm. Cubs because they were kind of flying under the, the radar because, again, there's nobody running away with this division. Milwaukee has been, you know, at or near the top all season, but they've never, you know, outside of a couple starting pitchers, this is a team that just doesn't wow me uh, right. at all. And Cincinnati made that run until they had the two series back-to-back with uh, Milwaukee. I think they played them right before the All-Star break, and I think they played them either the first or second series coming out of the All-Star break. And that was Cincinnati's chance to grab a foothold on the division and they didn't fare well and then from that those couple series now they go to Chicago last week they got beat up in Chicago and that was where Chicago had those two ridiculous games they had the the 20 run game the, the one night and that hurts your pitching staff because when you're you're putting a parade of pitchers out there your bullpen gets Overworked and it, you know, and then what ends up happening is somewhere down the line, you're going to have a starter that's going to have an off night and then he's got to become the sacrificial lamb because you got to eat up a couple innings to, you know, protect that bullpen that's got overworked until you get to September 1st and you, you can expand the rosters. What do you think about that take as far as the Reds are concerned? Where a lot of these rookies, it's not just the Reds, it's probably rookies all over the league hit that wall, right? When you start to roll into August and even September, obviously these guys are guys not used to playing 162 game seasons. And uh, how much do you think that comes into play when it, when it comes to the performance of these teams down the stretch? Well, there's two things that come into play there. The first is the arm fatigue. There's Mm -hmm. no question about it because these guys, whether when they were at the, you know, the lower level uh, in double A or triple A, they don't play that as many games in those many innings. So that's one of the factors. The second factor is, too, and this is a big angle that I I use in baseball all the time. I always say the pitcher has the advantage over the hitter first time around the league. When you start getting to August and September, not only are you dealing with the arm fatigue, but now teams, especially your division teams, are going to have seen you two and three times. So now the advantage switches to the hitters, over these young pitchers. So it's a double whammy for them. And it's a very good angle to follow because what happened in, you know, April and May is no guarantee is going to happen in August and September. Yeah. Sticking to the National League, the National League West marquee game last night was the nationally televised game. It was obviously the Padres taking on the Dodgers down in San Diego at Petco Park. Um, Rich Hill, uh, one of the reacquisitions. It seems like Rich Hill has been on probably 25 Major League Baseball teams, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's, we're, we're talking mid 40s, Rich Hill, right? Uh, it's, it, the guy's, the guy might never retire, but, uh, not a great outing for him yesterday. Obviously he gets bounced early and, uh, that, that Dodgers offense was on full display. Obviously Mookie, uh, with the, with the back to back home runs as well, too, in that game. Uh, plenty of offense for the Dodgers. Uh, is this give you an indication maybe that, uh, that maybe there was too much chatter, uh, in the last couple of weeks about the Padres maybe getting a foothold and maybe being a threat in the National League? Or is this just a situation where, look, the Dodgers are a better baseball team. And so, uh, they're, they're just going to outclass teams like the Padres regardless. This is the same old story with the Padres. On paper, they always have a good roster and they're expected and they're the darling every year coming in to, unseat the Dodgers. And we finally thought last year when they put that run together at the end of the season and went into the playoffs and kind of got that monkey off their back 
as far as the Dodgers just constantly beating them. Well, here we're back to it again where the Dodgers are dominating them. Last night's pitcher, Rich Hill, um, he was playing with the Pirates. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, you know, my background with the Pirates. I did not shed a tear when, uh, you know, the Pirates traded him because, you know, he's a guy at the end of his career. Right. But why did the Padres want him? Uh, I don't understand that trade. And plus the fact you're bringing him back to the National League West, going back to when you're making deals for players and so forth. And and if you're trying to be in a playoff run, go try to get one of those guys from the American League that at least you might have that advantage where, you know, people aren't familiar with them. Maybe they haven't faced them. But Richel played for the Dodgers. And, you know, so everybody's familiar. You know, he's been in the West, you know, for a good portion. I mean, as you yeah. said, he's been with a ton of teams. I think yeah. the official number is eight. I think he's one off of... He's very of Robert Ori-ish yeah. in, the, in Major League Baseball. Let's but, put it that uh, way. You know, yeah. so there's no... You're bringing in a guy that everybody knows, and he's at the end of his career. I just don't understand that move. Uh, there's other places that you could have plugged holes, I think, with the Padres. But, uh, yes, this is the the Dodgers' uh, division to lose. I, I don't see anybody catching them. Um, Arizona was a nice story at the beginning of the year. Yeah. They're not playing good baseball right now, and their bullpen is absolutely atrocious. They, when they come in, it's like you know bringing a, a gas can to an open fire. You know, And I was against Arizona yesterday, and that was a game I won with Minnesota. I did not deserve to win that game. They had base runners in almost in every inning, Arizona, and they couldn't get couldn't get the run across, and Minnesota made the most of, of every situation that they had. San Francisco is an intriguing team. They have some starting pitching, um, but they can't hit the baseball right now. This team cannot score runs. And when you get to the playoffs, granted, you go to a three-man rotation. You can cover up some holes in your pitching staff, but you still got to score runs. Where are they going to come from? You don't, you don't want to be losing games to the Oakland A's in Oakland, no. you know, in that that Bay series this weekend, like they did last yesterday, right. where you know you got Shea, Shea Langeliers and and you got uh, uh, Allen, who is uh, by the way former Las Vegas Aviator. I, I, mm-hmm. I watched a lot of games of him last year here in Vegas. Uh, he had a couple home runs in that game too, as well. So yeah, you don't want to be giving up uh, eight runs to the likes of teams like the A's. But going back to Arizona, Arizona is kind of surprising to me because they were buyers at the trade deadline, right? This is a team obviously that was in the mix, and it still is in the mix, even though they're right around five hundred. But like they 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 make some deals, right? They 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 actually work some angles, and then they're like two and eight in their last ten games, and it just seems like as you point, it seems like they're kind of fading out of the mix, right? When it comes to the yeah, National what? League picture. At the start of the season, nobody thought they were going to have the season that they've had to this point. Uh, and it's just, I think, a combination. Uh, at the beginning of the year, Zach Allen was untouchable. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, he's still pitching well. You know, he's going out, you know, averaging, you know, three runs, but before he wasn't giving up, you know, anything. So, you know, it was a lockdown situation. But I can tell you that anytime I did bet Arizona this year, it was more a first five inning wager for me than a full game because I just do not like that that bullpen at all. And you talk about yesterday's game, how many base runners they left. Yeah. Um, there was a return, a, a guy that I never thought would be in the majors again, and that was Dallas Keuchel right. pitching, you know, for the Twins. And he was out there. And we have uh, there's sayings that you don't use, you know. 
in any other sport that, other than baseball. But this one is exactly what he was doing. He was out there dancing through the raindrops to get out of the situations yeah. that he did, you know, and they, and in the fifth inning, I was really nervous because I, it was a scoreless game. And I'm like, they're trying to squeeze that extra fifth inning out of him, you know, so that he'd be on, you know, on the hook for the win or loss or no decision, you know, if they could push one across in the bottom of the inning. And he got into some serious trouble in the fifth inning. He got out of it with just one run. And so for him, if you, when you look at the box score at the end of the, the day, you can say, Hey, he didn't pitch that bad, but you know, it was, it, it was interesting watching him. But the reason that I was on him is it was the fate of Arizona and Chris, whether it's an injury or when it's a story like this guy that made his way back through, you know, and had to fight hard, sign a minor league deal, play, you know, after you, you've played in the bigs as long as you did to, you know, to humble yourself to go back and work your way back up, you know, through the AAA team. And he pitched, he pitched well. I mean, he deserved the shot that he got. He works way up. I like to take those guys in that first start. It's also the reason I had um, Houston one of the games over the weekend. They had the guy coming off the the DL, and you know that you're going to get the best effort mentally focused and preparation-wise that very first game back because they work so hard to get through an injury, and they're totally focused. And you know, especially when it's a guy that's a, you know a star pitcher, the ball club's not going to risk – pitching him if he's not ready because you don't want to ruin somebody long term and i like taking those guys especially for a first five inning wager because you're going to get an effort from them and we saw a couple of those this weekend yeah taking a look also at the national league east obviously you got the atlanta braves pretty much the cream of the crop in my opinion in the national league sitting what a 10 a comfortably 10 and a half games up in that division over philadelphia who's in who's in second but all the talk marco here we go is about the New York Mets, right? How extraordinary, Mr. D'Angelo, is how this franchise, what their expectations were just a matter of months ago to what it is now. This is a team and a franchise that absolutely had World Series aspirations when you bring in the likes of, when you have Verlander and Scherzer and all this talent offensively that the Mets perceivably had. And now it's all gone. Every, I mean, it's, it's your, your, your top, your, your, your aces are gone. Mm-hmm. And it is a franchise that is getting absolutely just hammered across the board in media circles. I have a colleague, uh, Danielle McCartan, a friend of mine who is on WFN in New York. The fans are irate, furious with Cohen and company and the powers that be there in New York. I mean, have we really seen anything in, in recent years when it comes to a team that had expectations to what it is, the quagmire it is now, that is the New York Mets in the, in the, in the National League and in the National League East. Well, as bad as they perform, no, they're going to take the, they're going to take the cake for that. But I would go back probably two years ago when San Diego made all of the offseason moves, signing Blake Snell and all of those. And with the pitching staff that they already had in place there, you know, remember, there's a name you don't even, you know, where's he now? Chris Paddock, you know, whenever, you know, they were, they had this stud rotation of young guns and every, and they had all that offensive power. They were a team that everybody was talking about and they just couldn't get over the hump against them, but at least they were competitive. The Mets are not even 
this this is an absolute joke. And yeah. for the money that you spent, and you talk about you know an organization that has made some mistakes in contracts, and all we have to go is uh, remind everybody about Bobby Bonilla Day. Uh, that is an annual joke. Whenever he gets a, he's, he's still getting what one point seven yeah. five million a year. Is yeah. that the deal? Yeah, right? yeah. you know. <laughs> So when you sell those two, uh, your two stars that you went out mm. and made the big splash, paid all that money, that's waving the white flag. That's going to be interesting when the Mets take the field tonight because this will be the first time they've been home since they traded those guys away. And, you know, if you want to look at what you talk about, uh, two trains going in opposite directions, you've got the Cubs that have won five of the last six games and streaking and scoring runs. And you've got the Mets that have lost six in a row, haven't won a game since the trade deadline. Yeah. You know, I can't bet the Mets. There's no way. And if you saw what the line on that game opened up today, they opened the overnight line on the Mets, I believe was a dollar thirty. It it's down to almost a pick'em right now. It, nobody wants any part of the Mets, and I can't blame them. You talked about the San Francisco Giants, a team right now, I believe tied with the Phil- uh, Phillies right at the top of the wild card standings. What about the Phillies, Marco? Because this is a team I think that could be dangerous to to the likes of uh, teams like the Braves or the Dodgers once we uh, roll around to uh, September and early October here. Philadelphia is another team I don't trust the bullpen. Mm-hmm. This is a situation the Phillies are going to score a lot of runs. They've got some guys that are very capable starting pitcher-wise. You know, Aaron Nola, when he is on, is one of the best pitchers in the National League. But too often, he'll go out there and give you that, you know, give up a five, you know, five runs in a game, and this is a team that needs the starting pitching or needs a ton of runs because you're always holding your breath late in the game. And, and again, me, there's certain teams that, you know, I, I have a list of, you know, if I'm playing them, I'm playing them first five for the majority of the time. And it's just because I don't like bullpens. And the situation is because of today's baseball, Chris, when you're playing a full game wager, you need a, generally a minimum of four guys to do their job. Mm-hmm. You got your starter that's going to get, you know, five innings, maybe six. Then that manager runs out. He's got his seventh inning guy. He's got his eighth inning guy, the setup, and then you bring the closer in. So your starter and those next three guys all got to do their job to get you to the finish line on that full game wager, where more often than not, I will take uh, first five inning wagers because then my handicap is what it should be. The two guys that start the game on the hill. Now, it's always fun whenever you're doing the, the first five and you've got a game where it's one of these teams that are, you know, doing the bullpen day and all day long they list one guy as the, the opener only to find out 15 minutes before the game that the guy that was listed as the opener is not going to be the opener. They put somebody else out there for one inning, and then that guy comes in to pitch the next three innings, and your bet's a scratch because you specified pitchers. Yeah. Uh, We talked about, obviously, the Dodgers and the Padres. That's the one game that's going on right now. Once again, Marco, the Dodgers just absolutely slamming the Padres. 13-5 to right now is the score. Mookie Betts, another home run in this game. Uh, Kike Hernandez, also a home run for the Dodgers. So uh, tough sledding going on for the, for the Friars right now. 
in uh, in Petco Park down there in uh, their home ballpark. So you might say the Friars are getting fried. <laughs> exactly, exactly. One hour down, another one to go here on the TC Martin Show Live. Marco D'Angelo joining me. I'm Chris Wynn in for TC Martin in hour number two. Talk, talk some football. A lot of storylines going on, obviously, with uh, the preseason kicking off and uh, training camps in full swing. And uh, at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to be also joined. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, that game tonight at T-Mobile Arena with Team USA taking on Puerto Rico in uh, in a uh, they're calling it a friendly showcase. I guess is, is what the the title of it is. But an opportunity for for America out there to see Team USA on on the hard court for uh, some hoops. And uh, Jameis Wells is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Talk a little bit of basketball. We'll probably dive in. Maybe maybe a little aces. Talk a little NBA as well too with him. At the bottom of the hour, it's the TC Martin Show coming away live on a Monday, one on fourteen hundred AM, one hundred seven point one FM, KSHB here in Las Vegas. in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin. And the ball is funny. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart. And they never quit. The doctor is now in. TC Martin Show rolling along on a Monday, KSHB AM 1400, 107.1 FM, and streaming at the TCMartinShow.com. TC not here today. Chris Wynn, along with WagerTalk.com's Marco D'Angelo here, holding down the fort on your Monday here in beautiful Las Vegas. It's a textbook Vegas August day. It's probably floating around triple digits. A little steamy out there, but we're nice and cool here live in studio, breaking down all things sports across the board a busy weekend as uh we just got a chance to dive into a little major league baseball talk talk a little bit about the aces game on sunday against the new york liberty in which they were just absolutely hammered by 38 points and uh we'll look to rebound in a matchup against dallas on tuesday in which tc martin will have the call Uh, of course uh, women's world cup is in full swing as well too and you know what else is going on folks and we saw it kick off on thursday the nfl is back all right hall of fame game went down and it's never a Hall of Fame game, Marco, unless there's some kind of malfunction right at the stadium uh, as the power went out during the game as the Cleveland Browns took on, uh, you know, <laughs> the Cleveland Browns ended up getting a win in that matchup against the Jets. But uh, it seems like every year, Marco, there's some, there's, some, there's some little tweak or something that goes down at the Hall of Fame game that, uh, that kind of messes with things. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't watch any of it. Uh, okay. I didn't want to have any more of the Aaron Rodgers hype that, you know, you weren't even going to see him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that time of the year. Everybody's zero and zero, uh, in hopes are high. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I was looking at you. Your, your tongue looks a little blue or you, you've been, you drinking that, uh, Kool Aid? So Marco, there's a, the Honolulu blue and silver is getting uh, a lot of discussion 
when it comes to the NFC this year, right? And we can get into this, and this will seem like a, a homerish kind of uh, direction I'm going here, folks, because any of you that listen to me on sports radio here in Vegas know I'm a Detroit guy, all right? I'm a Lions fan. And when you take a look at uh, at any of your sports books, right, when it comes to futures, and right now I'm looking at it right now when it comes to odds to win the 2024 NFC Conference Championship, Marco D'Angelo, Philadelphia Eagles, rightfully so, at the top there, at at uh, at plus three twenty. The San Francisco 49ers, again, I think correctly, right there uh, behind Philadelphia, at plus three sixty. The Dallas Cowboys at plus five, at plus six fifty, to win the NFC. And then there's the Detroit Lions, fourth to win the NFC, at plus a thousand. Now, obviously, um, this is a franchise in Detroit. Hasn't won a playoff game since 1991. They've been to the playoffs a couple of times in the last decade plus. Haven't really been a factor. Uh, you know, when they had the Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson years, it was a team that was, you know, kind of run of the mill. They're in the mix in the NFC, but never really a threat and weren't able to even get a, a playoff win in that era and any era since 1991 when they got that playoff win against the Dallas Cowboys there. But, I tend to be hesitant, Marco. I'm sorry, I do. Knowing the history of this franchise, knowing that the ownership has not necessarily changed. Yes, it's changed as far as like the individual in the Ford family, but it's still in the Ford family. Knowing our history regarding coaching decisions, general managers, how things have kind of shaken out, I am sure I share the sentiment of a lot of fans in Detroit and around the country that are Lions fans that are still, let's hold back and wait and see before we start giving all this love to Detroit and what they can do here in 23-24. Absolutely. you got to pump the brakes a little bit because this is a team that, as you said, history-wise has never been there. Um, one of my best friends and uh, you know, partner in, in my business, uh, Johnny Detroit, Every yeah. year, his favorite tweet, you know, he sends the, the meme out. It's the, uh, the cartoon character with Charlie Brown and Lucy where she pulls the football out when he's, you know, and that's the Detroit Lions. Yes. You, you, you got us again. And until they fix the defense, Chris, mm-hmm. this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Last year, that offense was exciting. Um, I love the coach. Okay. Uh, anything from Matt Patricia was going to be a major upgrade, but this, I think you got the right guy there. Detroit mm-hmm. is in, you're the Detroit guy. I'm a Pittsburgh yeah. guy. The two cities are very much similar in the fact that they're blue collar yeah, exactly. backgrounds. Yep. Okay. You've got that type of coach that, you know, he's going to pack his lunch pail and go to work. And the team is buying into him. They believe in what he's doing there. So from that standpoint, yes, uh, offensively, You've, you've got weapons now. Uh, I've never been a big Jared Goff fan mm-hmm. and you can't fault what he's done since he went to Detroit. You know, um, there's a guy got, you know, pretty much ran out of, you know, LA, yeah. you know, and they, with the trade and they went with the upgrade and then, you know, put kind of even more pressure on him because what happens? They make that trade. The two teams swap quarterbacks and, oh, the one wins the Super Bowl that year. Uh, so what, what does that say? But this is their year by default. Um, I think they're overvalued. I can't play them at the, yeah. at the numbers or the season win totals that they have them at. Um, I think the value, if you want to talk about a team 
honestly, from that division, um, the season win total on the Green Bay Packers, I think, is too low. Uh, obviously, you knew there was going to be an overreaction uh, to undervaluing Green Bay just because of how much the Jets got overvalued in, in their division because of Aaron Rodgers going. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is gone. We don't know what Jordan Love is going to be, but we saw this before when it was Aaron Rodgers taking over for Brett Favre. You know, yeah. we thought he was going to be good. We didn't know it, but he turned out to be good. Um, my thing is that the Packers have all the pieces in place except the main thing, the quarterback. If Jordan Love has any kind of year and, you know, we've seen some game film on him, but he's only been in limited, you know, number of games. Now it's going to be his, what is the offense that they're going to run? What wrinkles are they going to put in that suit his strengths and how well and how fast does he adapt to the, the role of, you know, starting QB? He might not. We don't know that. But if he's at just halfway good, they have a running game. And they have a very good defense that's un- underrated. This is a team that's, you know, been consistent with the defense the last few years. Now, I can say this much. If Love has growing pains and there's too many three and outs, it's going to put a strain on that, that defense. Uh, the more plays that you're on the field, you know, is going to break a defense down. That's the questionnaire. But I can tell you, that is one of the plays that I've made so far. I took season win totals on Green Bay over seven and a half. And we talked about the Lions, right? You talked a little bit about personnel-wise, right? Offensively, I do like the the draft pick of Sam Laporta, the tight end. Obviously, they had TJ Hawkinson there in Detroit. Uh, you know, the Lions enamored with uh, Iowa guys, right? Without question. But uh uh, Jared Goff, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was absolutely not sold on Jerry Goff when he was brought over from the Rams in that deal. But, uh, I've been kind of pleasantly surprised at what he's been able to produce there. Uh, they do have a top tier offensive line when you're talking about Detroit from Ragnow to, to, to Taylor Decker and now Penny Sewell as well, too, in the mix. Uh, you love their offensive line. And obviously they bring David Montgomery over from Chicago. Uh, they draft Jameer Gibbs, who is kind of like an unknown in my opinion. When it comes to his potential at the NFL level, we saw what he was able to do though at Alabama, and uh, and it's a team I think that you know they bring back uh, Marvin Jones Jr. as well too from Jacksonville. They bring him back to Detroit, so offensively I think they'll be fine. You mentioned the defense though, no question that Aiden Hutchinson has to you know take that next step. He's got to be that that uh, that guy. He's got to be that number two pick that they that they drafted, and uh, they drafted Jack Campbell also, another guy out of Iowa who's going to be a, a guy that's going to be part of that leadership on that defense as well, too, along with Gardner Johnson and Cam Sutton and uh, Tracy Walker as well, too. So the Lions, I think, uh, it, it is going to depend on what they do defensively. But the team that we haven't talked about yet in that division, i got to get your take, Marco, because I don't know if you've watched the Netflix documentary regarding quarterbacks. I the, have not uh, seen it. Okay, so it's on my obviously – there's three quarterbacks, and they kind of do it in like a three-tier quarterback type of deal in the show. You've got, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, you know, MVP candidate every year. He's one of the guys that they, they focused on. They focused on Kirk Cousins, of course, with the Minnesota Vikings, who I think is like a second just, just below those guys, the Herberts and the, you know, Joe Burrows and those guys. And then they had Marcus Mariota was also on the show. Um, not necessarily talking about the details of the show, but... The Minnesota Vikings, right? A team that was absolutely stellar in the regular season last year, uh, played pretty well in the regular season, had a couple of losses they shouldn't have lost, but the point is, is that they end up going into the playoffs 
with expectations. And then what happens? They fall at home to the New York Giants in that game, in that game in which they should have won. What's up with the Minnesota Vikings here? What are the expectations with respect to Kirk Cousins and this offense now that Dalvin Cook's not there? Um, and as far as where they fit in the, in the NFC North? Well, if you remember, they started the season 11 and 0 last year. Exactly. Okay. And they were on the right side of every one score game, you know, at the beginning of the season. So anybody that does the advanced metrics were playing against Minnesota all year because the numbers they were putting out statistically didn't correlate with a team that was 11 and 0. You know, this is a team that, you know, their point differential you're 11 0, you should have gigantic. It wasn't, yeah. you know. So, can they win all of those type of games again this year? Kirk Cousins at times looks like, you know, a top 10 quarterback, top five, but too often than not, he looks mediocre when he you know, has ill advised throws, um, have a turnover. And the knock on him has been. He can't play primetime game. Um, he's been an auto fade if, if they're on Monday night football or, you know, Thursday or Sunday night that they just doesn't perform. So yeah, they have the roster that they can compete. What's been one of their strengths over the years has not been their strength recently. And the defense was not good. You take a look at, uh, the NFC East. It's going to be a lot of fun to kind of watch this division this year because as I mentioned at the top of the segment, the top two teams in the, or excuse me, the top two of the top three teams in the NFC happen to be in the NFC East, at least as far as prediction wise. And of course, I'm talking about the Philadelphia Eagles who were in the Super Bowl a year ago against Kansas City, uh, not even a year ago, like, like eight months ago. And, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Here we go again, right, Mark? <laughs> like, look, I, we talk about how Detroit is predicted certain years, right, or whatever. When it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, there it seems like every single year, Mr. D'Angelo, we are talking about the Cowboys as uh, you know a team that should be on the rise or a Super Bowl contender. Is it yet another year here in twenty three twenty four where we are, where we are overhyping this team, or is it justified given you know the the team that they're going to put on that Jerry Jones and company are going to be putting on the field? I bet Dallas to win the division. Okay. I took plus 170 on Dallas. And the reason for it is, first off, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You realize it has been 18 consecutive years that there has not been a repeat division winner in the NFC East. 18 straight years. So that means Philly's not repeating. Okay. That, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a big number. And it's because the division has been, you know, you had the one year where the Giants popped up out of nowhere, but it's generally been Philly and Dallas, Philly and Dallas taking their turns. I think both teams are pretty similar roster wise, talent wise, but one team has the good year. They're going to get the tougher schedule the next year. Um, I like the one addition that, uh, the Cowboys made. Uh, they did sign, uh, Brandon Cooks. Not that he is a superstar game changer. But it gives them three legitimate threats when they go wide receiver, you know, three wide out sets. Mm -hmm. You've got CC uh, Lamb, tremendous, mm -hmm. who's going to draw the double team most of the time. But now you have a healthy Gallup. Remember last year, he missed games at the beginning of the season. He wasn't. So it just seems like when a player misses the start of a season, if they're just playing catch up 
the, the whole season. Now you got him coming into camp healthy. You've got another target. I think it's going to open things up for Gallup. I think, and I'm not a fantasy player, okay? But if I was, I would look at him because Lamb's going to get the double teams. He's going to get some single coverage and going to have an opportunity to make plays. And, you know, they got a running game uh, in Dallas when everybody's healthy. And think about it. Dak Prescott, and again, you can't predict injuries, but he got hurt again last year and missed time. They still were a 12-win team. Right. Okay? So if you could ever get a full season out of Dak, you got to think that this team is there. And, yeah, they knock on the door every year. I think this is their this year to do it. Jalen Hurts for the Eagles, you can't knock anything that he, that he did last year. It's tough to repeat, though. It really is. And then factor in not only that 18 year stretch with the, with the NFC East, but let's factor in the other myth or jinx, if you want to call it that. That's the Super Bowl loser of the following year. Mm -hmm. Those teams generally do not make it back, you know, to, you know, the Super Bowl or even the, uh, conference championship game. The team, it's just years and years. You, you make money betting against those teams that lost the Super Bowl the previous year. And I'll make a little bit of your case, too, when it comes to the Eagles, because it's a team a little bit in transition, right? The team, the NFC championship team from a year ago, a little bit different, especially on offense. They bring in DeAndre Swift in the backfield there to uh, team up with Kenneth Gainwell, I believe, still on that on, on that squad. Obviously, you like uh, the likes of A.J. Brown at wide receiver there and uh, and Devontae Smith, who's an emerging uh, big-time player as well, too, to go along with Jalen Hurts, who is another year now with Nick Sirianni and this offense. So... Uh, I would probably agree with you that I think there is a possibility that Philadelphia could take a step back from a year ago. Now, taking a step back, I think for Philly is a team that could be eleven and six, right, or ten and seven. But that, but saying for what for what it's worth, I think that makes a difference. And and uh, but you got the other two teams in the division, right, Marco, in the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders. And Washington's intriguing to me because they're kind, of, you know, like defensively, you want to think they're. You know, one of the, one of the better teams in the division, but uh, there's just not a whole lot of offense there outside of McLaurin and, and maybe a couple others where that, that really scares you, right? With that Washington team, nobody scares me with the Washington team. Right. That, that's the problem, and it was the same thing coming in last year. Everybody was talking about how good the defense is, and if they get any production out of the offense, they could be a sleeper. Well, they didn't get any production out of the offense, and they haven't. Now we've got a new ownership group there. Um, I think this is the last hurrah for Rivera. He's got to, you know, they got to produce, uh, this year, but the Giants, the other team in the division, I only got two words to say with the Giants, Daniel Jones. Uh, they, um, this, I am not yeah. sold on him. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think he is a quarterback that can carry a team, you know, into the playoffs. And that's why, you know, getting Barkley, you know, his money with these teams that, you know, devalue the running backs. There are certain running backs in certain systems that that is the key to the offense. And you, you know, you take a Derrick Henry away from the Titans. You, you take uh, Barkley away from the, the Giants and even our guy. You take Josh Jacobs away from the Raiders. You're looking at a totally different team and, It'll be different the way teams will defend you 
putting more pressure on your starting quarterback to have to make plays. It's nice when you got a running game and you're in second and, you know, fives and second and fours, you know, you, you pound out, you know, five, six yards on first down. That opens the playbook up. To you and you know all of the things that you can do with misdirection, um, play action passes and so forth. When you can't run the football and you're you know second and nine and third and eights or third and sevens, it's it's a different game. That's yeah. the the chess game of football with the defensive coordinators and Daniel Jones when he doesn't when he's got to make the plays. I just haven't seen it. Marco D'Angelo, Chris Wynn talking some NFL as we get set to ramp up in earnest when it comes to preseason games this week uh, across the NFL as uh, tons of storylines going down. Let's move out to the West Coast when it comes to the NFC. Obviously, the San Francisco 49ers, this is kind of extraordinary to me, Marco, because I think about this team, right? You're talking about a team that has absolutely Super Bowl aspirations, right? But there's not a solidified starting quarterback yet. you got Brock Purdy, right? And you got Trey Lance, the two guys that are there, look, we understand they have pieces when it comes to Samuel and it comes to, obviously, Christian McCaffrey in that backfield and others as well, too, you know, George Kittle and others uh, from an offensive standpoint. But uh, this is kind of wild that you have, you know, there's uh, such huge expectations for a team that doesn't have yet that guy who's going to be the quarterback in San Francisco. Season win total was 11. I went under the 11 with them. And, you know, you you got two factors that you don't know what's going to happen. Having Christian McCaffrey is going to make any quarterback better. I, I don't care who you put back there. You're going to give that upgrades them. Now you could be, you know, mediocre average and it might get you to just a little bit above average, but let's be honest. What we saw, the very little we saw of Trey Lance did not impress me mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season last year. Um, you never want to see somebody get hurt, but what I saw in the first two games out of him, it was a blessing he got hurt right. that they had to go back to Jimmy G and they were lucky that they, you know, because they wanted to send him out last year, you know, obviously they dealt him this year, but they wanted to get, you know, get rid of him last year and they didn't and it was a good move because he carried them until he got hurt and then the Brock Purdy story uh, that I see it I watched it I still don't believe it right. because I had too many Iowa State bets when I when he was in college that I saw too many mediocre games yeah. that I lost money on that you know their defense was good and they would lose a game because they could only put 10 points up, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and very frustrating. Uh, we don't know how strong, you know, all the reports out of camp is that, you know, the elbows, you know, healed and everything else. But do you trust him to carry the team? Absolutely not. I do not. Okay. And it, I think, I think it's absolutely, it's definitely justified given, given kind of the circumstances there. Uh, the other team in the division, I think that's going to be right there is, is the Los Angeles Rams. Look. It seemed like kind of a hangover year last year. Obviously, they dealt with injuries, especially in the backfield. And, uh, you know, Stafford did not have the year he had back in, uh, you know, the Super Bowl year. But uh, what's your take on the Rams? Look, this is a team, obviously, when you have the best defensive player in football, Aaron Donald, on one side of things. And uh, there has been a little bit of a shakeup from a defensive standpoint for the Rams. But do do you think they can make some noise when it comes to both the NFC West and uh, the NFC as a whole? Well, even with having, you know, the, the stud on defense, the defense took a step backwards last year, right. took a, a big step backwards. Mm-hmm. And the offense, you know, Stafford wasn't 100%, then he gets hurt, and then you got, you know, Baker Mayfield come in. And 
it shows you um, that the coaching staff, you know, is a quarterback friendly system. It's, it's going to make the quarterback better because Baker Mayfield had a couple amazing games last year. Granted, it was towards the end of the season, you know, and some of the opponents uh, weren't that good, but it got him a deal signed with Tampa, which good, good luck with that. When you're going from <laughs> Tom Brady to <laughs> Baker Mayfield, um, that should be fun in Tampa, but uh, I don't know. I'm not sold on the Rams. I just think that this team is probably, you know, a team that's going to float around at best 500 and we'll see from there. I like Matthew Stafford, but you know, all too well from his years in yes. Detroit, uh, you got to protect him. You got to keep him upright because it seems like, you know, he takes hits and gets hurt, and then you're done. You, you've got no other options. Let's stay on the West Coast and go to the AFC West. You brought up the Raiders, of course. Obviously, uh, I, in, in my opinion, we're looking at the Kansas City Chiefs as probably the best team in this division. Uh, you know, obviously they lost Tyreek Hill last year, but uh, they still seem to kind of reload, right, from Valdez Scantley to, you know, Kadarius Tony to Sky Moore. Uh, the backfield, you know, the the, the uh, combination of Pacheco and McKinnon in that backfield, obviously, you know, Travis, yeah. when we're talking about Travis Kelsey, you're talking about, uh, you know, one of the best tight ends in football. Uh, but I think what it, what a lot of people are talking about is is how close is the Los Angeles Chargers to, to the Kansas City Chiefs? Is this something where uh, they are going to be pushed by the likes of the Chargers, given that uh, you have uh, Justin Herbert looking to emerge and, and kind of uh, propel himself into that discussion with Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes and others. And uh, a Chargers team, I think, that uh, does have confidence that they can compete with Kansas City and the other teams in this division. I agree 100%. And I actually made a play on the Chargers. I looked at the season win total. I looked at winning the division. And... They got to still get over Kansas City. Right. Okay. It, it's, it's like the Padres against the Dodgers. You, you can get close and knock on the door, but until you knock off the guy, the king on the, the hill, which has been Kansas City, I can't do it. But what I did do with the Chargers, and I think it's a good, a good bet. I took the Chargers minus a buck 15 to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And because I think the other two teams, um, in the division, the Broncos are going to be vastly improved. I don't know that it's going to be enough to get them over the hump in one year. Um, Sean Payton will make that team better. Okay. That team got better the minute they fired mm -hmm. Hackett, okay, yeah. before they even made a hire. They got better just firing him. Um, if anybody can make the offense look better, um, Sean Payton will be able to get Russell Wilson. Will Russell Wilson ever be what he was in Seattle in his prime? No, but He's not what we saw last year either. So there'll be an upgrade there. But I think the Chargers, their schedule is good. They're a team that ironically, if you, and I do this when I'm looking at season win totals or I'm looking at winning a division, not winning a division. I look at the whole schedule and see how it plays out. Do they have tough spots where you've got, you know, three games in four weeks on the road or, you know, one of those godforsaken trips to London and whatever. And this is a team that has a, you know, a very favorable uh, schedule is they only play back-to-back -back road games once all year. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, people are going to say, well, Marco, every one of their games is a road game because nobody comes to their shows up. There's more fans in SoFi for the, whoever the visitor is uh, generally than the Chargers. But this is a team that's got a great offense, it's a spectacular offense when everybody's healthy. 
how many injuries did the Chargers have last year where Herbert was banged up with ribs? Um, you had Eckler. You had injuries to the offensive line. This team's never had a season where they could get through the whole season or at least the majority of it with all of the pieces in place. And I know every team goes through um, injuries, but it seemed like their injuries always came to key player position players when they had it. Um, I think this is their year. I think this is the, the year that they have to be the breakout year. And even though Kansas City has been so dominant, what's the one team in the division that has played them the toughest? It's been the Chargers, but in the end, they find a way to lose the game. And it brings us, of course, to the Raiders, obviously a team in major transition. You go from uh, Derek Carr, obviously, to Jimmy Garoppolo. At quarterback, the question marks regarding Josh, Josh, Josh Jacobs. In the backfield, Darren Waller, now a New York Giant. Uh, defensively, uh, a few moves made as well, too. This is a Raiders team that has a lot of questions, I got to say, Marco. And, and I think there is, and when you take a look, uh, my first question to you is, do you think the win total is, is uh, spot on where it's at? But also, what does this mean for Josh McDaniels if that win total actually does come in? Because I think it absolutely makes uh, a decision, a very difficult decision for Mark Davis as to whether or not to bring Josh McDaniels back in 2024-25. I'm not a big Josh McDaniels fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll state that right now. <laughs> um, for Jimmy G, you know, I think this move to Jimmy G at best was a lateral move. I don't think they upgraded the quarterback position. Mm. I think Jimmy G is going to be in for a little bit of a surprise. Um, when he was in New England and performed well behind Brady when he got a chance, remember, that was a Parcells coach team. Okay. They always had a strong defense, and they had a running game to complement their offense. And you, you also had Gronk, <laughs> the biggest security blanket, a quarterback you know, could possibly have when a play's breaking down, you, you got that big target over the middle, finding a soft spot to, to sit down and, you know, move the chains. Not going to have that here. There's no Christian McCaffrey in that backfield. Now, if they get Josh Jacobs signed and everybody's, you know, happy, yeah, that's going to help Jimmy G, but he's also going to have to be playing uphill a lot of games instead of downhill. When he was with the 49ers, you got the lead and you got a defense. It's easy to play quarterback position with those two things. Mm-hmm. Here, they're going to be behind a lot because of that defense is so bad. And I don't know that he can drop back and be a, you know, a game changer mm-hmm. if he has to throw the football 35, 40 times a game. And that's going to happen because you're going to be behind. He's Marco D'Angelo. I'm Chris Wynn. We are live, the T.C. Martin Show here in Las Vegas on your Monday. On the way back, we're going to talk to a basketball insider, Jamison Welsh. Get his take. Team USA taking out Puerto Rico tonight here in Vegas for a showcase opportunity before the World Championships, I believe, that are going to be taking place to where the uh, Team USA is going to get a chance to uh, to head out there and perform in. Uh, we'll take our final break and we'll come right back. It is the T.C. Martin Show here on KSHB. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. Coming back on the T.C. Martin Show. A little earth, wind, and fire coming your way. Every time I hear this song, gentlemen, 
I think of that movie Mr. 3000 with uh, Bernie Mac. He's playing for the Milwaukee Brewers. And they, they take away a couple of his hits, I guess. So he has to go back as a 50-year-old Marco and, and Justin and play to get his couple of hits to get back in the 3,000-hit club. And, uh, yeah, that's the first thing I think of, yeah. Maybe I'm dating myself as... as I st- yeah, it's Earth, Wind, and Fire, so, yeah, that's how I initially remember the song. But it is the T.C. Martin Show coming away live on a Monday here as uh, we roll down the stretch of the show. A lot of NFL talk, talk a lot of Major League Baseball. Now we're going to get into some hoops. And uh, no, nobody better to j- have jump on the show than our basketball and overall hoops and hardcore insider Jamison Welsh joining us to talk about it as the uh, tilt's going on tonight as uh, Team USA is taking on Puerto Rico in the showcase at T-Mobile Arena tonight. Uh, there's been uh, about a handful of days here since uh, last week where Team USA has been in town practicing at the Mendenhall Center uh, over at UNLV, so we get a chance to see this this new version of Team USA. And, uh, Jameson, first of all, thanks very much for spending some time. How are you? Uh, not bad, not bad. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely appreciate it. So, Jameson, we look at this, right, and we don't necessarily say it's the 1992 Dream Team, right, with uh, all those Hall of Famers and all-time greats. We don't even say it's a Dream Team 2, right, with a team the likes of Shaq and, and Joe Dumars and all those guys, and even some of the teams in the early 2000s. But it is an interesting team in that you've got a lot of emerging players, right? Guys like the Paolo Bancheros, guys like the Jaron Jackson Juniors, and even guys like, like saying Austin Reeves, right, for the Los Angeles Lakers playing on this team. It's, it's kind, of a, kind of a new look, right? when it comes to uh, Team USA and kind of the makeup of this roster? Well, it also signifies what's going on in the league right now. I mean, right now we're going through a shift of the guys that were star players in the 2000s and the 2010s. We're kind of shifting away from that and going through the new generation probably a few years earlier than expected, but that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, You know, the guys who are on the 2016 team, 2012 uh, national team, those guys either out the league or trending that way sooner than later. Uh, so that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, this is just a new generation of guys. Uh, it's a younger generation, and you hope to build a lot of camaraderie going forward over the next eight years to where guys want to come back and play and guys are a part of the program. So it's a good, fresh start, a lot of good names. Some names are missing. Like I like to see Evan Mobley out there. I think he's the best young big out there. Uh, he needs to be there. I think Trey Young should be in the camp. I think he's qualified enough to do so. So there's some omissions there, but for the most part, it's good to see some fresh blood out there. And, of course, the coaching staff also something that's in transition. Obviously, Coach K stepping down, so that leaves a spot. And now Steve Kerr, head coach at uh, Team USA. And it's also uh, a really interesting coaching staff as well, too, right, with Eric Spolstra. You've got Teron Liu. On there, as well as Mark Few, right from a college standpoint. So, your thoughts regarding, uh, you know, how the makeup of the uh, coaching staff and the kind of the direction they're going to. Well, the coaching staff is always interesting because normally the next coach that's going to coach Team USA is already on the staff. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how you got to look at it like that. Is like, hey, the guy they have on staff now is probably going to be the guy that takes Kerr's place when the time comes. That's how you look at it. But with that being said, the whole staff. Like, Spolstra is a very good coach. Ty Lue's a very good coach. If Mark Few's the least accomplished coach on your staff, you're doing something right there. No question about it, right? And 
also it's a, it's a situation where you talked about the players they're young you know, it's kind of like the next generation right of NBA players and what coaches do they like? well they're going to absolutely look up to the likes of Steve Kerr right because Steve Kerr is someone who's had recent success in the NBA so I think that's also a big key right Jameson to have a guy that has all kinds of credibility when it comes to uh in, you know NBA championships that uh that you can lean on from a standpoint of leadership when you're talking about Team USA? Well, Steve Kerr, uh, Spolstra, and Ty Lue are the three guys that are probably at the top of everyone's list in terms of the best coaches in the league. Now, Steve Kerr has had a lot of luxuries while being the coach of the Warriors. Even he admitted it himself that sometimes coaching the Warriors is not the reality of the NBA. And it's good to have other coaches that have different backgrounds and different situations. Because obviously we know Eric Spolstra has coached all different types of teams. He's coached super teams. He's coached guys with three undrafted guys in the start lineups. So he's, he's, you know, coached every situation. Same thing with Ty Lue with the team he has now. A lot of guys are in and out of the lineup. He's had to adjust and adapt to the best of them. So it's very interesting to see how this staff is coming about. But Team USA is in good hands going forward, not only with the players, but also with the coaches available. Jameson Welsh, Basketball Insider, joining us. We're talking about Team USA getting set to tip off against Puerto Rico tonight here at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas for a showcase for the two teams. Now, Jameson, I've asked you this before. You know, we talk about USA basketball. A lot of times it's it's about uh, kind of a coronation, right? Every time they end up playing in some type of scenario. And I'm going back, obviously, to the 92 team and beyond where there's a lot of, you know, autograph signings, you know, during the games from the players on the other teams. There's almost like a, a view that it's, it's Team USA is above and beyond any other team around the world, right? And, and everybody else is just kind of playing for second place. But that perception and that reality has kind of changed, hasn't it, Jameson? Because now, you know, we're more in an era in which I have a feel, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the rest of the world is kind of catching up. Right. And we are not necessarily going to be, you know, anointed champions or anointed, you know, one of the best top two teams or best team in the world whenever the world championships or the Olympics or these competitions roll around. So I think everyone has to kind of catch their breath a little bit and slow down just a bit when it comes to this. The U.S. still has the best depth of all the play, all the teams out there. Like they, they're one through 12, one through 15. Their select team, their depth is still better than anyone by far. It's not even close. Uh, also, the U.S. doesn't play their best all the time for various reasons. Some guys skip it because of injuries, contract situations, whatever it might be. So if you're just saying, hey, give me 15 of your best players against anyone else's 15, I'm going to take the U.S. However, what you're seeing is you're seeing more star players come from other countries. You're seeing guys come from France. Canada, uh, Croatia, Slovenia, you're seeing more top 10 players from other places. So that's what you're seeing more of. But in terms of teams, depth-wise, it's still the U.S. and everybody else. However, the one thing I will say is that those other countries have played together a longer time, so their camaraderie, their continuity, everything's a lot different in that regard. But the U.S. is still favored by far. Yeah, and you, like for what you're talking about. So, for example, like a team like Germany, right? Dirk Nowitzki, when he was in his prime, 
Like, he was dangerous because they had Dirk on their squad, right? Or obviously, when you looked at Spain and you had, you know, the Gasol brothers playing for him, it's, it, it causes, you know, it, it can cause a problem for a team like Team USA because they have top quality NBA talent on those teams. As you pointed out, it's not necessarily the starting five, but it's just guys that can, you know, just absolutely light up the scoreboard or, or you know, really throw a monkey wrench in the situation, I guess, Jameson, is what I'm saying when they play against the likes of Team USA. Yeah, well, no, no doubt. Plus, you have a lot of players that play overseas that are NBA good. They just stay over where they're playing at because they're making yeah. more money and the situation's better. But with all that being said, um, the depth of the U.S. options of pool of players to pick from is deeper than anyone else's. Like, they're 1 through 50. The pick from is still better than anyone else's by far. So, like, the U.S. still has first-world problems. However, what happens is if too many guys start declining – the offer, then you start seeing other countries having a chance. Like Canada's roster is a very good roster. It's a very solid roster. Mostly NBA guys. Same thing with France. Same thing with Australia. Those are going to be the teams to look out for going forward. Marco D'Angelo, Chris Wynn, talking with Jamison Wells, basketball insider here in the TC Martin show, ahead of uh, Team USA taking on Puerto Rico. All right, Jamison, hey. Uh, one of the more embarrassing moments for Team USA basketball was just short of 20 years ago, my friend. I believe 2004, 19-point defeat to Puerto Rico. Uh, any uh, chance that uh, maybe in the back of the minds of Steve Kerr and company that uh, that went down and that took place? Obviously, we're talking about almost two decades ago, but still. Maybe a little uh, something that a uh, little, little chip on the shoulder, Jameson, for Team no USA. Way. No way. Uh, that was a different situation. You had Larry Brown as coach, and that was a whole ordeal. Uh, you had a lot going on. You had a very poorly built roster. Like you had a lot of very similar parts in the roster. The roster definitely didn't complement anyone else. So that won't happen again. Like that, that will not. Now we can talk about how the roster is shaped and the favors and all that stuff. With all that being said, this roster is way better balanced, and a lot of guys are fine with this roster construction. They'll be fine tonight. There won't be any memories of that. What happened 20, almost 20 years ago, that's not going to happen tonight. That's Jamison Welsh, our basketball insider. We always appreciate Jamison spending some time talking some hoops. Uh, are you going to be heading out there to T-Mobile Arena tonight, checking out a uh, little basketball action in the, uh, in the, in the showcase? Game time decision. Game time decision. That's all right. We'd like to hear it. Hey, have a great uh, Monday and great rest of your week. We'll talk to you again soon, all right? Not a problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Jameson Welsh, basketball insider. We always love talking to him. All things NBA. Anytime there's a big, big news in the NBA, he's the guy to go to because he's uh, wired in, has covered basketball for a long, long time. So, Marco, here's the deal. 20 and a half points right now, Team USA. You're you're the uh, handicapping guy. Uh, do you take a deep dive on something like this when you have a, a one-off kind of thing, right? Where it's a, it's a showcase, essentially. You can't do a whole lot. I, I can't imagine as someone who's a, who's a novice better who likes to go to the window and maybe put a couple of ducats on this type of game. Uh, Team USA, 20 and a half point favorite against Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's not a game that I will be betting. Uh, my thought is if you're going to take a shot against Team USA, the best shot is the first or second game they play because, you do have a loaded uh, roster, as you say, but you got players that have not played together, and there's going to be a learning curve. And when you, you know, when you have a bunch of stars, sometimes 
you don't take the shot that you're supposed to take because you you want to make that one extra pass because you you don't want to be that guy whatever until they find the right chemistry and what everybody's role is yeah if i'm betting i'm betting against them but i will not be betting yeah. So I already told uh, a couple of hosts in town that I've already talked about this game. I'm already, I'm going to lay the points. I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab. I'm, this is Over. not, this is not some, I know, right? Uh, this is not some intellectual, uh, stamp of mine that I'm putting on this. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, uh, hey, uh, it's still a situation, obviously, where, uh, I, I don't think you want to put too much thought into it when you're talking about Team USA taking on, uh, Puerto Rico in this matchup at T-Mobile Arena. Okay, Marco, you're you're the horse racing guy. Uh, news out of Saratoga Springs, New York, right? Uh, regarding uh, uh, Maple Leaf Mel, uh, who was leading the field in the in the in that uh, half a million dollar test, right at Saratoga. Uh, then she suffered a, a catastrophic injury uh, to her right front leg just before the finish line, and was later euthanized on Saturday. Obviously, you know, very difficult thing to to deal with in, in, in the horse racing world. And it's kind of, it's raised its head, right. For lack of a better term, uh, in recent weeks, given, you know, some of the high profile races that have gone on where there's been discussions regarding trainers or officials with horses and, uh, and, uh, untimely euthanization or passing away. Uh, this just kind of adds to it, doesn't it? Mr. D'Angelo. As a horse owner, that you know, you never want to see that happen. But as far as for the sport goes, it happened at the worst possible spot. Mm -hmm. Um, as you said, it was just steps from the wire. He had, she had to race one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, took one bad step and went straight down. It's right in front of the grandstand. Yeah. If you're at the finish line, you're right smack in the middle of all of the people. And when that happens, you know, the horse ambulance comes out right away. Um, there's a track, a state vet on site that makes that call. They put up a curtain, you know, much like whenever, if you see an accident here in Vegas and there's a fatality, you know, they, they got it all, you know, blocked off with the cars, you know, so you can't see what's going on. It's a bad situation. You never, it's not good for the sport. And then um, on a side note, in one of the other stake races that day, mm. um, this is a pet peeve of mine. Mm. Um, Safi Joseph is one of the leading trainers at Gulfstream Park. He got a positive in New York um, last month. All of his, he's barred from racing there. They ended up mm. scratching the rest of his horses on a big stake day card uh, when it happened. He's not allowed to race there. A horse that he trained in Florida and all through his campaign, White Abario, who was a Kentucky Derby horse that year, um, was racing in a stake race on Saturday. Well, he can't be the trainer. So he sent the horse um, to Dutro, um, Richard Dutro uh, trainer, who ironically was a trainer that had just come back from a 10-year suspension. Yeah, I, and White Abario ran off with the race that he, that he was in, right? Best race of, of his career. Wow. Yeah, but uh, bring, but talking about kind of you know some of the recent stories that have transpired, right? When it comes to the horse racing game, look as someone who is, is again like like women's soccer, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a horse racing expert mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. I pay attention when the big the big mm -hmm. events come around, right? The Triple Crown and, and such. But, uh, you know, given what has kind of transpired, right, in the, la in, in the last handful of weeks in that sport, 
I think a lot of the average Joes, the average Janes, not necessarily like you or someone that's actually you know, versed in the, in, in the sport, they look at it and they say, oh, what's, what's going on in the sport? Because uh, there, there is there's this out, out belief that there is some kind of nefarious activity going on, right? Uh, when you have you know, horses uh, either being euthanized or, or just dying, right, in, in situations where and, and at a higher clip than it has ever been reported before, I guess, is the way I look at it. The situation that's happening is, the, and it's the way the sport has evolved, we're mm-hmm. breeding more for speed, mm-hmm. okay? The crosses that they use where these horses, they're, you know, 1,000 to 1,200-pound animals. You ever look at a horse's leg? They don't have Earl Campbell legs, okay? <laughs> All right? They're, they're frail. And the faster you go, you're putting more, um, you know, pressure on those. And, you know, where all of the money is to be made in horse racing is in your two and three year old season. That's when all of the stake races are the big races. And you're putting a lot of pressure on horses that, you know, as two year olds are not completely developed yet. Um, so that's part of it. And then, you know, you get the horse, you know, the animal rights, uh, groups like PETA and so forth. I just went to Del Mar, uh, for opening week, um, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and, Every year they're there, you know, picketing outside of, you know, the racetrack and, you know, cruelty to animals and blah, you know, and all of that other stuff. I can tell you the racehorses that I own, um, they get treated, they see a doctor more than I, I go for myself. Yeah. Uh, because we take every, you know, every precaution that we, we have. And, uh, so obviously I'm going to be on the horse, uh, horse, uh, racing side of things, but there are black, black eyes in the sport and it seems to happen with just a handful of trainers that these things keep happening with that's marco d'angelo follow him at marco in vegas so mr d'angelo i was bouncing around your twitter slash x feed and you did post that picture you reposted it with tc so uh you know sending out appreciation to us for holding it down while he is is out in big d and there it is there's the ribs, there's the potato wedges, there's the sliced pickles, there's the coleslaw, there's the, you know, the, it, it, the, the doctor is not afraid to make culinary explorations is the way I'll put it, right? Whenever he's in any city, he was in New York, obviously, he was at Yankee Stadium, and he was bouncing around New York and had a chance, to, uh, which was cool, he had a chance to hang out with his family there in New yep. York, and that, that was pretty cool, but uh, whatever part of the country he goes to, he seems to find the eats, that uh, are that are the staple there, and he really, you know, he pisses me off the way he <laughs> the way he eats and never gains weight. His metabolism is unmatched. Uh, you know, he's got that tall, skinny frame, and I just look at food and gain a pound. You know, exactly. I, I'm kind of look. I'm the same way here. I'm the stocky, you know, short, stocky guy over here, also as well too. But yeah, TC, he's got that. He's he's kind of real thin. He's got the rail. Yeah. He's got the new bowl kind of thing going on, he, which he is does. which is good for him. But. Uh, <laughs> TC is going to be back on Wednesday, folks. He is doing the game tomorrow. They're taking on the Dallas Wings. What do you think, Marco? Do you think that uh, the Las Vegas Aces bounce back against the likes of the Wings in Dallas, even though, uh, as you pointed out at the top of the show, this is a Wings team that's pretty solid? It is, and the last time that they played there, the Wings pulled the upset. Um, Mm -hmm. They won by two. They scored with the go-ahead bucket uh, with... 0.4 0.4 tenths of a second left, and uh, the Aces actually had a chance to tie it or win it, and uh, I think it was Jackie Young that put up the shot. It went in just off 
the buzzer. She took one dribble where it had to be a, a you know, a catch and release. Yeah. Uh, she took one dribble and it, it cost her. The shot went in, but it went in as the red light went on. No go, no, no score. And I'm sure we expect the likes of Kelsey Plum and Asia Wilson to bounce back offensively for Vegas. And I don't anticipate, I'm not aware of any player having a birthday or anything around the next 48 hours down there in Dallas. So maybe they're not. look, it was tongue in cheek. I'm kind of throwing it out there. We don't, I don't know exactly what they did if they went out or whatever in New York. And it, look, it's Manhattan though, right? You're not, they're not in Manhattan every day. So maybe they, maybe they did a little a sun, Saturday night rendezvous throughout the Big Apple if before the game on Sunday. If there's you know? ever a team that should not be distracted being on the road, it's a team that goes from Vegas. Like we got every distraction. Exactly you, right. You could possibly have so uh maybe they did maybe they didn't i just was i think there was you know the hype for the game they made uh, you know they made it the game of the year that's the way it was advertised and uh unfortunately didn't live up to it to your point everybody talked about the vegas flu right it doesn't even matter if it's aces golden knights raiders too and uh yeah maybe 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 the Las Vegas Aces fell to the uh, New York flu. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. But uh, I'm sure they do bounce back. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, Marco, here on a Monday. Appreciate Enjoy you coming it. in and uh, and chopping it up a little bit. Uh, thanks to Justin for making us sound good. And thanks to you, the listeners out there. Make sure you can catch everything on the TCMartinShow.com. Archives, all kinds of stuff across the board. Uh, it's been a fun show and filling in for uh, TC. I believe Jose Vellante. Jose Vellante. Jose Vellante. Yeah. He's been texting throughout the show, by the way, about our soccer takes. He's, he's a big soccer guy. <laughs> Says that he, he's in on the penalty kicks. He thinks it's a good thing. Right. Okay. So, I mean, hey, to each his own, yep. I guess, right, when it comes to soccer. But uh, thanks to Marco. Thanks to, to uh, Justin. And uh, I'm Chris Wynn. Everybody have a great Monday and enjoy the rest of your week. We will talk to you again in 22 hours.